Welcome to the Commons Cast. We're glad to have you here. We hope you find something meaningful in our teaching this week. Head to commons.church for more information. So good to see everybody again this morning. As I said earlier, we're always honored when we get to share this space together and for you to take time out of your weekend to come and spend it with us as a community, we are so honored that you would choose to do that. And the truth is that each and every week, many of us share our time and our strength together and we couldn't do this without so many people contributing to help pull our gatherings off and then all the ways that we are involved together as a church throughout the week. So thank you for that in this fall season as things are getting going. This is also especially relevant because of all the things that are kicking off, the things that are starting for us as a community, and as we all begin to settle into what fall looks like, our fall routines sort of kicking in, and us getting used to that. So thank you for sharing time with us in this busy season. We're so thankful. We hope, too, that you are finding this to be a space where there is some light that comes to you and some warmth, and maybe not just physical, but then also the kinds of things in which our souls are brought close together and we discover newness in community. Because we really do work to become a place as a community where people can be themselves, intellectually, spiritually, while also realizing that we are never alone on the paths that we choose to walk on. Which is why we invite you often to check out commons.life to discover ways that you could connect, ways that you could serve, or ways that you can get involved in some of the events that are happening. And I want to just make a special note that in a couple of weeks, we're going to have an opportunity to help serve our community friends here at the Inglewood Community Association in their leaf pickup, all these beautiful trees that we've enjoyed all summer long here. It's going to be an absolute disaster here in the next couple of weeks, and so we're going to have an opportunity to, sh- uh, to help serve do some of that cleanup, and we're going to put details up for that on our Inglewood Facebook group. Hopefully, it's a little warmer when we choose to do that, and maybe you want to think about bringing your family out. We'll have some hot chocolate here to everybody to enjoy together and help this neighborhood that hosts us each and every week, and if you aren't connected to our Facebook group for this parish, you can just search Inglewood Commons Parish on Facebook, and we'll get you added to that where you'll see events and notices related specifically specifically to our lives here that we're sharing on the east side. Now, today we're going to finish off our first series as a community this year, which is kind of crazy. We're already three or four weeks into this and we're looking at the problem of prayer. And as I mentioned last week, this has been a really meaningful start for me as well as for many of you that I've had a chance to chat with and we've talked about these sort of conversations around prayer during the week. Because language of prayer, we talk about it a lot in Christian community. We hear it and we're asked to participate in it. And for some of us, prayer is more of an environmental factor in our religious lives. It happens and when it does, we notice it. And we're happy to engage, but our connection to it is more passing than anything. For others of us, prayer is a little bit like standing and waiting for a flight. You know, when they ask all the people with their sleek carry-ons and their elite exclusive wing express statuses to board first while we stand there waiting for them to get on, right? Where sometimes we can end up feeling with prayer that the frequent flyers in community, they get the benefits of prayer. But the rest of us are sort of relegated to this second tier experience. And then I think everybody might have this experience. There, there might be some tension with prayer. Where even if we've grown accustomed to it happening, we've practiced it maybe sometimes, we're not really sure what happens when we pray. 
or what we're supposed to do when our world just stays the same or it keeps on spiraling. And how we're supposed to manage this disillusionment when our prayers don't seem to be going anywhere or at least not going anywhere fast enough. Which is why this hasn't really been a workshop series or an attempt to resolve these sort of unresolved questions, but mostly at its core, we've been trying to focus our attention on how we are all invited to pray. And this reminds me of this group that collected some prayers written by children. And they said things, some of the children said things like this. They said, dear God, I think about you sometimes even when I'm not praying, right? Which is a nice, sincere prayer. Or like this child named Mark who prayed, dear God, I keep waiting for spring, but it never came yet. Please don't forget. It's pretty sincere, right? And then this one was my favorite. Dear God, I want to be just like my daddy when I get big, but not with so much hair all over. (laughs) Which is really sincere, really good prayers, right? And examples like this, they show us, lighthearted as they are, why turning our attention to the way Jesus taught his friends to pray is so helpful for us. Because, yes, the Lord's Prayer is super familiar for many of us who have been around church. It's something that we maybe come back to regularly. We say it together as a community. But in looking at it for these few weeks, I hope you've started to see how simple words and regular refrains and pointed requests, how these things, if we choose to adopt them, as our own, they start to grow in us. Where instead of prayer, or instead of thinking of prayer as something that we say out and up to God, no, instead we take these words and we hold them close in our regular living. Or maybe perhaps we realize that prayer is nothing if it's not naming and describing ourselves where we start to realize that our deepest connection to the divine is only possible when we know who we are and where we are. Because, see, just like we talked last week, when we use these phrases like, let your kingdom come, when we really allow our hearts to ask for God or ask God for divine imagination for what the world could look like if it were more like God longs for it to be, What happens to us when we do that is we don't become super spiritual and we don't become totally balanced, super self-sufficient, well-adjusted human beings. It's not like we level up and we become amazing. No, what happens is that we start to see how God is near in our broken, faulty, and yet fierce love for others and their love for us. And we start to see how serving in communities and serving those in the margins and serving those who drive us nuts even, we start to see how simple things like that let God's kingdom come. And where really to pray these words is to reach out to the edges of our creative selves into the middle of monotonous everyday rhythms. And there we find just maybe that our problems with prayer aren't always resolved. There's still going to be disappointments and times where we figure maybe we're just wasting our time saying these things. But I promise you this, that you will find that in picking these words up that you do change. And that, unlike a strict program of self-improvement where the shifts maybe sometimes are forced, instead when we pick up words like this, the shifts in us are real and they're lasting, even if they're longer in coming to us than we want them to be. Because to pray like Jesus prayed 
is to reach toward who we are meant to be. Finding that grace changes us as we find daily bread and as we choose to forgive and as we go through difficult times. Which, spoiler alert for today, we need to look at a couple more phrases of this prayer. You know, forgive us our debts, lead us not into temptation. Sounds like it's gonna be super light, right? But before we dive into that, I wanna invite us to pray together. And as we do, I'm going to borrow some language and some images. As I hinted, we might all choose to do in our rhythms. I'm gonna borrow from one of the mothers of our tradition, St. Teresa of Avila. So would you join me now in a quick prayer of focus? Oh, great God, supreme power, supreme goodness, wisdom itself, without beginning, without end, without measure, infinite and incomprehensible in all you do, a fathomless ocean of wonders. You are beauty and you are strength. And so we ask that you would give us grace to hold this great weight carefully and cautiously and yet fervently as though our lives depend on it because they do. And if we are weak today, I ask, would you be our strength to receive your strength? And if we are lost in some part of our lives, be our light to find your light. And if we are full and content, be the source of life that draws us further into your life. And give us grace to learn this way of living where with words said and actions offered, we pray faithfully for the sake of your world. And we ask these things in the name of Christ, our hope. Amen. All right, let's jump in because we have some ground to cover today. And because I mentioned to you last week, we're going to finish off this prayer, but then I also want to end off today by offering you a historical practice of the church that you might take with you in all your living. And what may be helpful for us as we start today is to think about how there are some guiding themes in this prayer of Jesus that we've been looking at for the past few weeks. And by this I mean, we've talked a little bit about this, how the initial phase of the prayer challenges us to think about how we might live with God more at the center and how divine nearness is some of what Jesus showed us in his life, but it's also how he taught his friends to think about God. And then there's these ideas that we've been grappling with about how and when to practice prayer, saying prayer, remembering prayer, and how these rhythms of life, how they motivate us and get us moving in our world. Where saying things leads us to particular causes and particular passions and to particular forms of advocacy where we can see divine imagination come to life on earth, in our neighborhoods, in our families even where people and communities and relationships are restored and treated with dignity and given a chance to thrive. And while, while we might keep our attention on the needs of today, we choose to maybe not pursue security and self-preservation selfishly, but we learn to ask God for what we need, knowing that as we do, we are also asking for those who cannot get what they need 
and will not have it if someone doesn't serve or work to change that. And those are some pretty big ideas, some noble ideals, in fact, that we should try to live into. But then we come to the business end of this prayer, where we're encouraged to say some pretty challenging things, things that, in letting them become part of our vocabulary and our way of being, over time, they can start to function a little bit like a compass. And just like if you're lost on a hike or maybe you're in an unfamiliar landscape, maybe in a city around the world that you haven't been used to, it has different markers than you're familiar with, you might pull out a compass. Except nobody pulls out compasses anymore. We just pull out our phones, right? And our phone gives us directions. And it pulls us back on course. And it shows us where we lost our way. And guess what? Prayers like that, especially when we take it with us everywhere we go, and we let it take up space in our minds, using words that remind us of the way that we want to live, and then they pull us back. Or maybe we speak requests that shine light for us in difficult relationships and choices and situations that we're navigating. And guess what? When we pray like that, prayer isn't laborious. In fact, it starts to feel a little bit second nature, almost like finding a path or a road or a way that we know will bring us home eventually. Now, Jesus' prayer keeps us going in the right direction by teaching us to say a couple of things. And the first of them is this, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And right off the bat, I want to say that this phrase is actually pretty difficult to translate. In fact, what's on the screen, which is what we say together when we pray this prayer at Commons, is actually different than the English translation that we generally use in our teaching, the NIV. And the NIV actually translates this, forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. You may have heard that. And the NIV's use of the word debts isn't bad, in part because it's probably a more accurate interpretation of the Greek, and also because we don't tend to use the word trespass like this in our vernacular. And the reality is that debts and wrongs, and even some commentators think we could use the word sins, these are all pretty interchangeable here in this verse. And the word forgive, this is a derivative from the common Greek verb that generally takes a meaning, something like to let something go, or to throw it away, or to forgive, or to cancel. And I don't, I don't want to bog down in the layers of theological meaning and argument that people tend to add to this verse, but I do want to name the problem with this prayer, or at least the problem with what's implied. Because it seems to be saying that divine forgiveness and mercy are tied to our ability to forgive, which if we're honest, doesn't sound super positive. I mean, we can't hide from the idea that this, this word or this phrase is attributed to Jesus actually in multiple places in the Gospels. In fact, right after teaching his friends to pray this way, Jesus tells them that if they don't forgive others, they won't be forgiven. But what sometimes gets lost in translation of this phrase from into English is the fact that the verb tense of the as we forgive can just as easily be translated something like as we have forgiven 
or as we regularly forgive, which might not seem like a big deal. That might seem like semantics. But let me suggest that what this does is it changes some of the economic tone of this phrase. It stops being so transactional. Where instead of us asking God to forgive us of the wrongs we commit in and to the degree that we forgive others, the phrasing could instead be more of a request that we experience and know divine forgiveness and mercy as we work to forgive others. The first way makes it sound like if we forgive, then God pays out what we deserve. But the second way makes it sound like God's mercy is present to us and available to us when we work to forgive those who have wronged us. And listen, I can't, I can't do justice to the mammoth challenge that this word forgiveness brings to us. And if you want an in-depth look into the ways that we might begin to forgive and what it means to forgive and what it doesn't require of us to forgive, we actually taught through some of these really big ideas early in 2017, and you can go to our podcast or our YouTube channel to view that material. It's super, super rich and challenging. But what I do want to do is address how learning to pray these words and pray them well can keep us going in the right direction. Because if we begin to see the economy of God's affection differently, where instead of having to be perfect, having no animosity or no unforgiveness toward people who may have wounded us before we can move forward, instead of that as an alternative, we begin to hear these words and say them together as an invitation, where Jesus invites us toward divine affection and wholeness that are already ours, if and when we can let go of the debts that others owe us. So I wonder if, as you pray with these words, you could begin to use them as you ask yourself simultaneously, is there anything that I need to let go of? Am I holding on to the wounds of a past relationship? Or am I holding on to the ways that I was taken advantage of or excluded or overlooked professionally? Or maybe even more profoundly, am I holding on to the ways that I ruined things for myself back there, where I destroyed part of my story or my dreams with this self-sabotaging action that I can't take back? And listen, I'm not trying to say that our answers to those questions are easy to admit. This is one of the problems of prayer, that honesty hurts way more than running in the other direction from our bad choices. But let me be so, so clear that when Jesus taught us to pray this way, he wasn't telling you that God withholds divine love that makes all things and sustains all things because you're hurt and you struggle to let go. No, Jesus was teaching you to ask for grace, to slowly open your hands and heart, sometimes moment by moment, sometimes year by year, releasing the wrongs done to you, because that kind of openness sets you in the direction of the life that God wants for you. And this is why early church leader John Chrysostom meant when he said this, he said that nothing makes us so like God as our readiness to forgive the wicked and the wrongdoer, whether that's someone else, or maybe even more profoundly, sometimes it's ourselves. Now. I already mentioned 
And you can probably feel it. This feels like the guts of this prayer in lots of ways. But there is gift in this heaviness that we find here. Because the more we find this phrase and we use it in our lives, we might find that this heaviness is actually super effective and it's conducive to helping us grow. Which is why we need to look at this second phrase which says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And again, there's lots here and we're gonna have to breeze by some of it. But the first thing to note is that as we've already encountered several times, translation here is super challenging because there are some commentators that feel that the term translated as temptation, periasmon, this term could just as easily be translated trial. And some of the justification for this is because the implication that God in some way would lead us into situations where we're tempted which sort of implies our susceptibility and our weakness, that God would lead us there, this is an idea that lots of people reject, and I get that. But I think that this vocabulary swap that we're choosing to make maybe, I realize that this might be one of the times and one of the lines that most of us have prayed with some regularity when we're facing some significant challenge, for instance or when we are going into a situation and things are not looking good for us, or maybe we're facing uncertainty in our career or in our health, for example. And maybe you need to hear this encouragement today because you've been praying this line for a while and feeling guilty because you feel like you maybe should have something different to say. Or maybe you feel like your prayers aren't being answered because you feel somehow responsible for the trial you're in. And if that's you, I hope you can see how profound it is that Jesus taught his friends to pray like this. Because so much of our human experience falls under the category of trial or difficulty. And to pray that we be spared from this is a basic human desire. But I'll add, we pray this because we can't actually avoid difficulty. And really, if we're even slightly committed to intellectual honesty, we have to admit that to pray for no trials while people around us suffer atrocities and displacement and experience natural disasters or are victimized, to pray for no trials, it sounds a little bit selfish, which leaves us with a bit of a problem with prayer. And I think that to address it, we need to see these two statements as connected Lead us not into temptation or trial, but deliver us from evil. Because see, we know that Jesus' earliest followers prayed this prayer from a place of vulnerability. They wanted to see God's kingdom come, they wanted it to be present in their communities, but they were often excluded and persecuted in the cultures that they lived in. And they wanted to be saved from very real pressures from the temptation then in those pressures to abandon their faith, to be delivered from forces of evil they felt were rampant and systemic in their world, just like they are in ours. And I think that this is where learning to pray with these words can help us move in the right direction again. Because to pray this way is to ask ourselves regularly, where do I need to say no? Sure, this prayer uses the word temptation. You can probably think of some battles that you fight regularly, whether that's resisting the temptation to lash out in anger, 
or to self-medicate your loneliness with some addictive behavior, or to be dishonest to protect your reputation. Temptation comes in so many ways, but I think that Jesus was hinting at something more than our vices. Because to pray like he taught us is to ask for deliverance from the systems of evil that tangle around us. They work against our soulful living and they keep us from loving others, especially those that we should love. And then what happens is that the temptations that come to us then, they're so much more subtle. Temptations like to pretend that we have it together so we don't have to own our anxiety. Or the temptation to be self-sufficient so others will respect us or need us. Or maybe the temptation to pursue security at all costs, neglecting relationships or practicing workaholism. And what this prayer sort of exposes for us is how these temptations often spiral toward evil that undermines our flourishing and others too in the process. So then to pray these lines is to let Jesus teach us to say no, to let our prayers give direction to our choices because we've owned how we feel insecure or we feel fearful in a situation And then we've reminded ourselves of the evil that we bring to ourselves and we spread to others when we don't pay attention maybe to the yeses that we're just handing out in various parts of our lives. Now, that brings us then nearly to the end of Jesus' teaching on prayer and to the close of this fall series. And having worked through some of these ideas, I hope maybe we've suggested some new ways and pathways that you might think of to bring to your own experience, how you might learn to pray, or maybe how your prayer might change. But I also think there's one more problem of prayer worth noting. And it's the fact that there isn't one method or one model or even one prayer, including this one, that fits every situation. In fact, I think these phrases that we've been looking at today totally help us to see how sometimes prayers fall short. Because if you haven't noticed yet, you will, that the challenge of forgiving someone or ourselves or facing difficulty and the temptations that come to you, sometimes these experiences actually steal the words that you might use to speak to God and they leave you unable to feel like praying. Or at the very least, they, we feel like we don't know what we're doing when we try to pray. And that somehow our spiritual life is suspect when we come to places like that. And like I said last week, this is why reading the Psalms can be really helpful. Because effectively, it's a book of prayers that's been used by believers and wannabes alike for hundreds of years. But I also suggested that we consider the tradition of our mothers and our fathers, practices as varied and as numerous as the situations that we find ourselves in without a means to pray. And I'd love love to walk us through a few of those, but if you're curious about these things, I just wanna suggest that you consider joining us for one of our contemplative prayer events that we plan and host throughout the year. And we've got one coming up in October. Again, just check it out and come join us for that because we explore these kinds of questions together there. 
And with that said, I do want to mention a practice that I've found helpful in my own journey. And it's called the practice of examine. That word examine just comes from the Latin. It just means sort of an evaluation. And this is simply a prayer practice where we take some time to assess our lives. And often the best time for me is at the end of the day. And you do this in a couple of ways. First, you take what they call the examine of consciousness, which is where we think about how God has been present to us during the day and how we've been available to or responded to that invitation. And one of the easiest ways to do this is to ask yourself, what happened today that I can be grateful for? And then second, we practice the examine of conscience, which is where we name the things that have been uncovered during the day. What areas in us need to be restored? And for me, one of the easiest ways and quickest ways to access this is to ask myself, what bothered me today? What made me frustrated and ungrateful and apart from myself? And obviously, there's more to this practice than this. There's plenty of resources that you can find if you want to experiment with it. But my point isn't to offer it as another thing that you should think about mastering so much as to give you another example of the kind of practice that might come to you when you don't have the right words to say. And when the phrases you feel and the pressures that have come and the challenges you face leave you feeling like prayer is more of a problem than it's worth. Because to feel that way is to come again to Jesus, just like his friends did. And to admit, as you'll probably do more than once in your life, I don't know how to pray. And then to carefully and fitfully even pick up words and rhythms of life that might feel awkward at first, they'll feel foreign, but then over time, they can become a well-walked path up and over a mountain pass guiding you safely to what Richard Foster calls your heart's true home. So, may you take these words that Christ taught us and carry them. My prayer is that they would give you direction in the choices and the adjustments that you are having to make even today. And may you find courage to pray in a way that with each passing season you are letting go of weights and debts that you've held on to, offering forgiveness only because you've started to find and accept it for yourself. And may you choose too to pray into the question of what you need to turn away from, finding that in saying no isn't a practice that will constrict your life, no, but it will open you into new and fruitful ways of being. Now, as we close together, I want to invite you to pray as we have the last two weeks as Christ taught us to pray. The words are going to come up on the screen. Let's pray now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.